Okay, let's go ahead and get into it this morning. We're continuing our series on Daniel. Guys, I was, I'm not the most artistic person in the world. So I was fired up about this graphic. I was like, guys, what do you think? And someone's like, yeah, it was, thank you. I was so fired up. And someone's like, yeah, it kind of looks like dance, exclamation point. And so now that's all I see when I see it. Um, but dance. So that's all I see now. Oh, yeah. May have a new graphic by next week. We'll see. Um, but as we're continuing our series on the book of Daniel, there's a couple phrases that I want us to memorize that I think really capture the, the, uh, the sum of the book. Okay, so the first one, you got to turn this on. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. Next slide, please. It might be me. Okay. The first one, stand firm, do not fear. Okay, this is, this is a phrase I want us to memorize as we read through the life of Daniel and his example and his friend's example. There's this message of do not conform, do not back down, stand firm, and do not fear because God's got you. God is looking after. He will rescue his faithful servants. Don't compromise. Don't fold. Stand firm. Do not fear. Okay, so let's say that one together, okay? Stand firm, do not fear. Okay, and the next one is do not fear, God is sovereign. So as we look at some of these visions and these dreams that Daniel has and interprets and we read about, they're given to bring hope that, it, wow, God is so in control of the world. So whatever I'm going through, I don't need to be afraid because God is sovereign, not Rome, not Greece, not whoever. God is sovereign. So let's say this one together. Do not fear. God is sovereign. Okay, so one of those two phrases is going to, in each chapter, in each section that we study out, is going to be kind of the theme, okay? So uh, just to recap, last week... Um, is this working? Now? Okay, it's working now. I didn't know if I was doing this for like a cue to Steve, but it's working. Um, last time we looked at uh, Daniel chapter 1, and we, and we looked at kind of how he got into Babylon, right? Because Daniel takes place the 6th century B.C. Babylon. Uh, and we looked at, you know, we had this up there, which I, this probably confused most of you, but it's just a quick timeline. Israel's doing great. David, Solomon... The kingdom divides into north and south. Assyria destroys the north. Uh, Babylon destroys Assyria. Babylon takes over the south. And that's when the captives are taken. Okay, that's kind of a summary. And, uh, and that gets Daniel. He was one of those first captives taken into Babylon. Okay, and while he was there, we talked about how a conquering nation would actively work to try to eliminate your culture. And so Daniel's brought in, right? And what they would do is they would take all the best of the best. They'd bring you over to their new place. They'd give you a new name. They'd give you new clothes, a new job. They'd teach you their language. They'd teach you their religion. All as a means to try to wipe out your culture and expand their culture. So Daniel's given the name Belteshazzar, which is a, literally a name after the chief god of Babylon. This was an active effort to try to wipe out Daniel's culture and even his faith. But we see that example of Daniel and his friends refusing to compromise. 
and, and they refused to defile themselves with some of the food they were asked to eat. And they, you know what? I'm not crossing this line. I will not compromise, and I don't care what happens. I don't care if I get killed. I don't care whatever. I'm not compromising. I'm not backing down on my faith in my God. And, and we see how God just totally takes care of Daniel. Such an awesome example. Uh, and today, the, the title of my lesson today is The Dream of the King. You can go ahead and turn over to Daniel chapter 2 as we get into it this morning. Uh, we're actually going to start at the very end of chapter 1. But uh, we're going to look at the first kind of vision, dream, that we come across in the book of Daniel. And uh, we're going to break it down a little bit. This is actually probably the most generic prophecy or vision in the book, but it's still incredible. And I think the big takeaway for us is, guys, don't be afraid. God is sovereign. God is running the show. Uh, kingdoms will rise. Kingdoms will fall. Kings will rise. Kings will fall. God's working behind all of it. We have nothing to, to, to be afraid of, okay? So um, let's go ahead and say a prayer, and we'll get into it this morning. God, thank you so much for your word. God, you are so sovereign. You are so awesome. And I just pray that this morning, as we read your word, pray that our understanding of it would grow and that it would increase our faith, that it would increase our awe of you, and that we would begin to understand just how sovereign you are, just how mighty you are. God, thank you so much. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray, man. All right, Daniel chapter 1. Let's start in verse 17, okay? Daniel chapter 1. Starting in verse 17, this is kind of where we left off last week. To these four men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. All right, so Daniel stands firm in his faith. God blesses them, gives them the ability. You know, I mean, they're just so much wiser than everybody else. So that kind of gets us to Daniel chapter 2. And early on, the second year of Nebuchadnezzar, so this is 603 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar starts getting these dreams, and they're troubling dreams, okay? And does anyone here have just really vivid dreams? Anybody have really vivid dreams? I don't. I don't remember any of my dreams, never have, couldn't tell you anything. Katie, it's very vivid dreams, okay? And there'll be days where she's just upset at me the whole day, and I'm like, what have I done? And the answer is nothing, and then I have to ask myself, what has Dream Willie done? Okay, because Dream, Dream Willie is the scum of the earth, if you guys didn't know. Okay, so, um, so the king, he's having these disturbing dreams, and he can't shake them. On his mind, he doesn't know what they mean. They're very troubling to him. And so he calls in his magicians, enchanters, astrologers, right? He calls in all his sorcerers. And he's like, guys, I have this troubling dream. I need you to interpret it for me. And they're like, Sure. Tell us the dream, and, and no problem, we'll interpret it. And he's like, no. Okay, I know you guys, he, he knows these guys are phony, even though he put them in place. He says, I got a deal. You tell me what the dream I had was, and you interpret it. 
And they're like, uh, you know, oh, king, live forever. Uh, we'd be glad to interpret it, but tell us what they are. And he's like, nope. Tell you what. Tell me the dream I had and interpret it. And if you don't, I will cut you up into pieces and I'll burn your house to rubble. Okay? You can read, go read Daniel 2. And they're like, uh, they're true, you know. This is the most ridiculous request ever. What king would ever ask this? This is impossible. Nobody can do that. And so he says, I knew it. You guys are just trying to buy time. So let's pick up in verse 12 of Daniel chapter 2. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon, which includes Daniel, Shadrach, Misha. Okay, it includes our friends here. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. And he asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? That's a good question to ask if someone comes to your door and is ready to execute you, Okay. Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for more time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Man, I just love Daniel's faith. Right up to this point, there's no reason for Daniel to believe this is going to work. Now, he's got not much to lose because he's about to be killed, but what? Hey, king, Nebuchadnezzar, give me a night. Give me some time, I'll interpret it for you. Oh, I love Daniel's faith. Let's look in verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. I don't know if they prayed for the other ones not to be executed, but they at least prayed for them not to be. During the night... The mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. Wow. What faith, right? Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar gets this dream. He's going to execute all the wise men in Babylon. Daniel steps in. Give, give me time. Okay, fine. You got a night. Okay, okay, guys. Here's the deal. I've got to interpret this dream tomorrow or we're all dead. So I wonder what that all-night prayer night was like, right? Uh, begging God. And it works out. God, God gives him the dream and gives him the ability to interpret it. God, guys, God comes through for his faithful servants. I love Daniel's faith in God. Look in uh, verse 27. Let's continue reading. Let's pick up. So Daniel replied. So he goes, the king asks him, can you, uh, can you interpret my dream? Daniel replied. I love this. No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and visions that pass through your mind as you are lying in bed are these. Okay, so he's about to explain the dream here. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, 
But so your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue is made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed it. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken into pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. These are those passages when you're reading in your quiet times and you're like, okay, whatever. Uh, this was the dream now. We will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory in your hands, he has placed all mankind, the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them. You are the head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, that will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron. For iron breaks and smashes everything, and as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay, partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly of iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. Okay. Guys, this is where history is important because if you don't know some of this stuff, you just read this and you're like, what is this dude talking about? So God gives Nebuchadnezzar a dream that's going to explain what's to come. And Daniel describes it here. Now, we have the, the, the benefit of hindsight, okay? And so maybe this was something similar to what Nebuchadnezzar would have seen in his dream. Just an incredible statue. Marvelous to look at. Humongous. And it was divided up into a head of gold, okay, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, and legs of iron. And Daniel interprets this dream for him. And what he's talking about are kingdoms, world kingdoms, that are going to be coming over the years to come. And basically, what God does here is he lays out an outline of the next four world empires for the next hundreds of years, a couple thousand years. So let's just break it down quickly, okay? The head is Babylon. After Babylon comes Persia, okay? The Persian media armies conquer Babylon basically without a fight. Um, and then next he goes and he describes a kingdom that would rule the entire earth. After Persia, in around 330 B.C., steps Alexander the Great. At the age of 20, by the way. Alexander the Great's armies literally conquered a territory greater than any other kingdom before it. So this truly would have been a kingdom that would have ruled the earth. Then he gets to this fourth kingdom. And it describes it as iron that will crush all others. 
What other kingdom or empire in the history of the world could be described as strong as iron that will crush all others in its path? But this is what's incredible, guys, is in 603 B.C., okay, God gives Daniel some incredible detail that happens in about 400 A.D. Okay, because he mentions how, which it's down here, you can't really see it, who cares? Uh, you know, part of, part of the feet are going to be partly of clay and partly of iron. Part of this kingdom is going to be strong, and part of this kingdom is going to be weaker, like baked clay. So most people don't know this, but Rome divided into two kingdoms. There was a division there, and there was an eastern Rome and a western Rome that was established. Western Rome was pretty weak, didn't last very long. Eastern Rome lasted about a thousand years longer than Western Rome into about 1450 A.D. So guys, okay, okay, whatever. Willie, you lost me. This, I'm bored. It's spring break. Oh my gosh, what's going on? Here's the deal. You don't have to memorize all that. You don't even have to memorize the kingdom. You, who, this is the point. Because we can read this and it's like, okay, whoop to do Guys, we got to So it's easy for us to look back and be like, oh, yeah, Rome. Oh, yeah, Greece. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is 603 B.C., and God is giving pretty incredible detail about a kingdom that's going to be in 400-plus A.D., all the way through 1450 A.D. In 603 B.C., We've heard of all these kingdoms. Daniel's sitting there in Babylon, doesn't even know what, okay, what are we? Guys, we've got to sit back and understand God just gave them an overview and an outline of the next world kingdoms for the next 2,000 years. And this, mind you, is probably the least detailed vision in the entire book of Daniel. Try. I know. I know. It may. Mean, this may mean nothing to you, but try to let it soak in. Just how sovereign our God is, that in 603 BC He's giving down to the detail of this fourth kingdom is going to wipe out all the others, but it's going to be divided, and part of it's not going to last very long. Part of it is. Two thousand years before. Guys, we serve an awesome God. What do we have to fear with a God like this? God is sovereign. But what's so great is the dream doesn't end there. Look in verse 44. In the time of those kings, that fourth kingdom, in the time of Rome, basically, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor it will be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human, man, human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold pieces. In the time of the Roman Empire, God will set up a kingdom that will never perish. It will endure. As that's us. That's the kingdom of God that he's talking about. And so 
So we've got to try and realize how comforting this passage would have been for God's people that were being terribly mistreated by these other empires, knowing as terrible as you are, as mighty as you might be, your time is coming to an end. And God is going to establish a kingdom that's coming that will never perish. It will endure beyond all these other kingdoms till your earth. Guys, it's us. We are living in the midst of the kingdom of God unfolding, and it's a kingdom that's going to spread and fill the entire earth, and it's never going to end. Guys, how comforting would this have been for God's people enduring intense persecution under the Greek Empire? Knowing that, okay, the Bronze Empire, what comes next? There's, there's one more. Okay, that one be worse than this one, but then God's kingdom's coming. Imagine God's people enduring persecution during the... Hang in there. Hang in there. As terrible as these kingdoms might be, God is sovereign. God is in control. God knows what kingdoms are going to rise and what kingdoms are going to fall and which ones are coming next. And his is going to endure forever. Now, can you imagine when John the Baptist walks on the scene saying, get ready, the kingdom is here. Guys, we have the benefit of living in the kingdom that is unfolding that people prayed for and begged God to come for centuries. So I think we've got to ask ourselves this. If God could tell Daniel in 603 B.C. what was going to happen for the next several hundred years, do you think there's a situation in your life that God's either not aware of or not capable of handling? What do we really have to be afraid of? So I want to just talk about a couple things that I think stand out to me when I read this, this story here. And a couple questions I think we've got to ask ourselves. Knowing that God is so sovereign that he knows and is working behind the scenes of these different kingdoms and the rise and the fall, and he's behind all of it, which kingdom are you putting your hope in? Which kingdom are you putting your trust in? Which kingdom do you have faith in? Which kingdom affects your joy? Which kingdom are you, are you investing in? Are you putting your faith in a kingdom that has an expiration date on it that we know is going to come to an end? Or are you putting your faith in the eternal kingdom of God that is never going to end, that is going to endure forever, and that is just going to keep on spreading? It doesn't matter what people try to do, the kingdom of God is going to spread and spread and spread until it fills the entire earth. We'll get there in a minute, but guys, here's the deal. Kingdoms are going to rise, and kingdoms are going to fall. Good kingdoms are going to rise, and good kingdoms are going to fall. Kings are going to rise. I know we don't call them that, but we know. And kings are going to fall. Good kings are going to rise, and good kings are going to fall. And let's just be real. The good kingdoms aren't actually that good, and the good kings aren't actually that good. But they've all got an expiration date, and God is behind the rise and fall of all of them. So I want to talk about, I want to be proactive today. 
because we're so far removed from it, we can talk about it before it comes. In about, over the course of the next seven or eight months, stupid is about to be on full display. Politics, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about, all right? Politics has the ability to bring out the worst in everyone, including Christians. All right? Guys, something stupid is going to be said or done or whatever, but here's the deal. Kingdoms are going to rise and kingdoms are going to fall and God is working and behind all of it. So why on earth would we be surprised when some kingdom rises up and does something terrible? We just shouldn't. We shouldn't. And so, as I'm just talking about it, guys, as politics, as, as the election season approaches, it's going to reveal which kingdom our hope is in. Why on earth would we tie our hope or our faith into a temporary kingdom or a temporary king that will rise and fall as God says so and has an expiration date on it? Whether the person you want gets elected or not, they're both going to come to an end. Whether the kingdom you're a part of seems in the grand scheme of the world great or small, it's going to come to an end. The kingdom we should truly care about, we should truly invest in, we should have our hope in, we should have our faith in, is the only kingdom that's going to endure forever and that's going to grow and spread and endure and never end. And that's the kingdom of So when something dumb happens over the course of the next eight months, rather than getting crazy about it or angry about it, it should bring us to our knees to just say, God, I'm so grateful to be a part of your kingdom. And bring it quickly. Bring it quickly. Because it makes us understand that prayer a little bit better. Your kingdom come. Please, God, unfold this quicker. What can I do to help bring the kingdom quicker? Can I serve my neighbor more? Will that, bring, will that help the kingdom spread more? Can I, can I share the God? You know, what, what can we do? Amen? So it makes me think of scriptures like Matthew 6 that we all know so well. Because it says, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more important than food, the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly without clothes. See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of fire. Will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So don't worry. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. Your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I want you to go ahead and think of a situation in your life right now that's causing a stress or a worry or a challenge or an anxiety. Hey, just think about it. I'll give you a, a couple seconds here. I want you to identify what that, what is a situation that isn't complete that's going on right now that's creating some type of stress or some type of worry. Hey, pinpoint it. Get it in your mind. Once again, guys, in 603 B.C., if God can tell Daniel what's going to take place in the world over the course of the next 2,000 years, 
Do you think he's big enough to help you in whatever that situation that's in your mind? Guys, do not fear. God is sovereign. God rules the nations. God is working behind the scenes. God is running the show. What do we really have to be that worried about? If God can rise kings, I think he can take care of our situations. Amen? The next thing that I, that I love to think about when I read through Daniel and this story is God's pursuit of us. I, God did not say, I'm so sick of you guys. Shoo. Okay, Babylon, come in. Going to endlessly pursue his people, even when we're at our worst. Think about that, guys. When Israel was at their worst, God still knew, I'm coming. I'm coming down there. I'm going to redeem my people. I'm going to bring my kingdom. I haven't given up on you guys. That's so comforting for me to know that even when I'm at my worst, God's still going to come. He's still going to pursue me. He's still going to pursue you and me. Amen? So as we close out today, I want to read, it's kind of a psalm, honestly. This prayer of Daniel that's just so magnifying of God's power. I just love how aware Daniel is of the sovereignty of God. So let's read Daniel chapter 2, verse 20. This is after God answers Daniel's prayer and allows him to see the dream and understand what it means. It says, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. He changes times and seasons. Even daylight savings time. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises others up. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in the darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, because you have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you, and you have made known to us the dream of the king. Guys, what do we really have to be afraid of? God is sovereign. God is in control. God is running the show. God is working behind the scenes. God is in charge. Let's take comfort in that this morning. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll close with a song. Father, we come before you.